Welcome to Sound Saints, a podcast aimed at helping the saints of God to think sound thoughts. My name is Clint Eberspacher. I'm the senior pastor at Hingham Church in Hingham, Wisconsin. My name is Kurt Dalmas. I'm an elder here at Hingham Church. Well, Pastor, um, it's been a few months now that... Now, now, Kurt, we made a rule. We made a rule about this. When we're on the podcast, and really any other time, too, you're supposed to just refer to me by my name. You said we were going to be friends. It's a respect thing. I'll do my best, but yeah, you had mentioned it. So, Clint, it has been several months now that you've joined us here at Hingham. Uh, we're really getting to know you a little bit. We're, we're really looking forward to getting to know you better as hopefully COVID and things like that lift and we can start seeing each other and more often and, and just getting together as we were meant to. But I do want to ask, how has it been here? Uh, how has your first Christmas been in Hingham? Yeah, uh, it's, it's been really good. You know, we, uh, we've had a lot of family and, and friends come and visit us from, from out of town in the months leading up to uh, the holidays and, and a little bit even over Thanksgiving. But yeah, over, over Christmas, uh, we have pretty much just had some, some time to ourselves. We've done a little bit with uh, um, people from church for celebrating some of that holiday stuff as well. But um, the, the main thing that comes to mind, though, is just how, how crazy of a schedule it is that, the, the, that Hingham Church keeps. Uh, with our uh, our Thanksgiving Day service, something I've never before done at any point in my life. Uh, on top of that, our our annual uh, congregational meeting. Uh, on top of that, our Christmas Eve service, our Christmas Day service, and of course Sundays keep happening in in between all of that along the way too. It it's just been crazy how much there is to do. Uh, and still try to, to lead the organization. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, welcome to Hingham. You're doing a great job so far, and yeah, we definitely take communion of the saints seriously here in Hingham. <laughs> yeah. We get together often, and um, we do enjoy it, so yeah. Well, thanks for asking, Kurt. You know, um, we were just talking after uh, deciding to do the Apostles' Creed as we uh, work through uh, that in this podcast, uh, we just realized that it might be helpful uh, for people for us to explain more about where it came from and why the Apostles' Creed in particular is important. Um, and I know you did a little bit of work on that. Uh, what are some things that would be helpful for, for our listeners to know? Well, yeah, like you had said, it's something that you know we've been reciting at Hingham Church for years and years, but you know, looking back, I don't really recall breaking it down too much as to, you know, is it in the Bible? If not, why do we do it? You know, what is the creed all about? So, yeah, I, I agree this, this should be a great topic for us. But, you know, the history of the creed uh, is that it dates back to, like, the middle of the second century. It obviously means that the apostles themselves almost certainly did not produce the apostles' creed. In fact, the existence of the creed is mostly due to preparation of converts for baptism. In the early church, baptism candidates would learn this creed toward the end of their time of preparation and then recite this just prior to going into baptism. As a result, once we moved past the first generation of Christians and infant baptism was more prominent, 
the Apostles' Creed became less prevalent. Though the Apostles' Creed begins with, I believe, it is probably better to think of the Apostles' Creed not so much as a personal statement of faith, but rather, one, as a statement of what the Universal Church has always believed, and two, as a statement of our allegiance to the essence of the gospel and to a particular local church that proclaims it. Martin Luther wrote, I believe that not of my own reason and power do I believe in my Lord or am able to come to him. Therefore, I believe is a recognition that God is to be known only through himself. And what does this recognition result in? Humility, gratitude, and worship. Yeah, man. That's such a powerful quote. If if I am not the reason for coming to saving faith, if I'm not the one that effected that, then it must have been God who did that. And if that's the case, God gets all the glory. I, I, I can't uh, be prideful about anything in and of myself. I wasn't smart enough or, or wise enough or good enough, um, but I, uh, I was a sinner just like the rest, and God still... Uh, chose me and saved me, and so I end up becoming thankful instead of boastful, and I end up giving glory to God instead of myself. Yeah. Well, um, Kurt, we're talking a lot about faith. We're talking a lot about belief. We use those words interchangeably. What are some obstacles uh, that uh, people oftentimes cite as uh, preventing them? What are some things that keep them from coming to faith? in Christ? Well, I've heard a lot of different reasons. I mean, just a couple are, they don't see Christians as acting any differently, or that's what they say anyway, than, than anyone who isn't a Christian. Or uh, if you ever get a question is, how could God allow this? Or how could that happen if God loved? Or, or the many questions that people will ask when they cite the reason for not being a Christian, just as some examples. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's just a million of them, aren't there? I mean, we could we could probably make a, a long, long, long list about that. Um, you know, the passage that comes to my mind, and the passage that people a lot of times turn to, to try to think through this and, and understand this is is uh, Romans chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty five. I thought it would be good just to read that and uh, talk about that a little bit. So. Uh, In in Paul's epistle to the Romans, he says, starting in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. There's a lot in those 
few verses there, Kurt, but um, how, according to those verses, how is it that God has made himself known? God has made himself known through his creation. He's made himself known through his divine power. He's made himself known through Jesus, his son, who we're supposed to resemble. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's done this in such a way that he has been clearly perceived. In fact, in verse 21, it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him, right? And so everyone of, uh, 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 who has an active mind knows God. That does not mean that they're in relationship with God, but they know of him at the very least uh, just by looking at creation. Um, now, what is it that the Bible cites as the obstacle, according to this passage here alone, what is it that the Bible cites as the obstacle to saving faith? Our sin, our own wickedness, is what uh, is preventing us from... Where do you see that in the text? It's in verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. Oh man, that's a weird translation. Is that New Living Translation? <laughs> so I'm, I'm using the, the ESV, and it, it, says it, it just says it a little bit differently. So it says uh, at the end of verse 18 in, in the ESV, talking about these unrighteous men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so th it's interesting, the, the word there, uh, I'm not sure what it gets translated to anymore in your translation, but the word in my translation as suppress um, actually has the idea of, it, it's a word picture, and, uh, of an active resistance to something. So um, you know, the idea is kind of like if you could picture, and, and a, lot of, uh, a lot of people use this illustration, if you've ever tried to hold uh, like a volleyball or a soccer ball or something like that, uh, underwater while you're standing in a pool and just trying to force that down, it, by its own nature, is constantly trying to pop back up. It's trying to come out. And the only way to keep it under the water is to actively suppress it, to, to hold it down. And, uh, and so this is the problem. This is what we do. God is constantly revealing himself to us, um, through our own natures, through creation. Um, but what do we do with that revelation? Apart from God's grace, all we ever end up doing with it is suppressing it. Pushing it away. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it says, too, that uh, we exchanged in verse 25. We exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and we worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. It's not hard to see how that's evident uh, from the story of Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve's fall. It's not hard to see uh, that throughout human history, how that's happened. It's really not hard to see how we ourselves do that in our own lives uh, on a daily basis. Um, so if that's the problem, 
It's our unrighteousness, our unrighteous suppression of truth, our exchange of that truth for a lie. Uh, if that's the problem, um, is the problem of faith, is, is the, the problem of someone not coming to saving faith an intellectual problem, or is it a moral problem? How, how would you answer that? That's a good question. I would have to say off the top of my head, it's probably a moral problem. Uh, all the evidence is there and we have to decide to, to live that way. Uh, choosing not to is a morality thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I have a prideful thought, it's not because I don't know that pride is a sin. Uh, I know that very well. <laughs> the Bible says that in many, many, many places, and I wholeheartedly believe that. So it's, there's, no, there's no intellectual problem there at all. The real problem is uh, that, I, that I'm sinful, and so I, I choose to sin because I am sinful, not because I am ignorant. <clears throat> exactly. Well, okay, so um, if that's the case... If that's the case, if there's no, not really any intellectual problem with coming to saving faith, um, that really, in a lot of ways, affects how we ought to uh, preach the gospel to others. Uh, there's a number of ways in which this is important. I think just starting out, uh, it, it's it's worth noting that... Uh, proclamation of the gospel, in my opinion, needs to start uh, with what I'll call from above. Uh, theology from above, or uh, talking about God and proving God uh, with reason that is from above. And all I mean by that is, I presuppose, I start with as a foundational truth that God exists and the Bible is his word. And so I, those are things I don't seek to prove. Uh, I, I think that if God exists and if the Bible is His Word, He and His and His Word are more authoritative than any other source I could cite, right? So, like, why would I why would I try to prove God using something else that's less reliable than God Himself? And uh, and a lot of people have problems with that, but uh, they call it circular reasoning. But I, I would argue, and maybe we'll have to save this for another episode sometime. But I would argue that everybody engages in circular reasoning, no matter what. I'm just being honest about it and telling people where the circle is. But then also, I can show, uh, I think, pretty consistently, that uh, the Bible and the biblical worldview. The existence of God and, and all the truth about him that's revealed in Scripture make better sense of the world than, than any other system. In fact, I would argue it's the only way to rightly, understood, uh, rightly understand uh, everything that we experience and see. Uh, there's, a, there's a theologian, from again, from the, the middle of the 20th century, a guy, he's actually a Dutch Reformed theologian, uh, famous apologetics scholar, uh, a, a great defender of the Christian faith, uh, and, and this is where I've gotten a lot of my understanding of, of how to um, talk about Christ and how to talk about reason and experience and fact. And uh, I think we need to start with the reality that 
as Christians, we know the state of non-Christians. We know already what their problem is, even if they won't admit it. Even if they say it's uh, not a moral problem, if it's something not, they, they're going to say it's something else, that's fine. Uh, but we know the truth. And uh, Cornelius Van Til, this, uh, this famous, apolog- famous apologist, says this in one place. He says, Thus, intellectual argument will not, as such, convince and convert the non-Christian. It takes the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And I think that's so important. I think that's super important for for Christians to hear, because I know that I've spent a lot of time uh, speaking till I'm blue in the face with non-Christian friends of mine and neighbors of mine over the years, working as hard as I can to persuade them through intellectual argument of the truth of Christianity, um, but for whatever reason it never clicks or it doesn't click. Well, the, the only way that it clicks, the only way that it actually is, enge- that they're engaged and that they actually come to saving faith is if the Spirit, and that we know that this is one of the main things that he does, that he's actively doing in the world today, is if the Spirit takes that and, uh, and, and gives them uh, understanding, once again, from above not from below, not from where I'm at. And, uh, and so uh, I think that's, that's really uh, important. Um, another thing, just to, to, just to quote Cornelius Van Til one more time, uh, he says a little later on, the natural man, so that's the unsaved person, the natural man is quite able intellectually to follow the argument that the Christian offers for the truth of his position. In other words, the non-Christian... Uh, it's not that they don't understand what we're saying. They get it. They, they understand the content of what we're saying. But Cornelius Van Til goes on, he says, He can therefore see the wisdom of the world has been made foolish by God. Christianity can be shown to be not just as good as or even better than the non-Christian position, but the only position that does not make nonsense of human experience. I think that's so important. Uh, I don't think Christianity is is just as good as every other system out there or any other system out there. I don't think it's better than every other system out there. I think it's the only system of, of thought. It's the only worldview that doesn't make a total hash of of the world and of understanding it. So so that's a lot of information there. Kurt, what, what are some things that you think that we can take away uh, from from this, what are some some uh, points of application we can try to grasp here? Well, it definitely strikes a chord when you say or when you talked about um, it's not our intellect that's going to win over someone to Jesus. And trust me, I know it's you, it can get extremely frustrating talking with somebody and and you think you've got all the points and all the rationale and they shrug their shoulders and walk away, but yeah, it's, it's up to God. You know, it's something my dad has said to me many times. It's like, it's up to us to plant the seed, whether or not it grows. You know, we don't get a say, really. But, um, you know, so that's helped me at least to not feel like every time I talked to somebody, it was my battle for their soul. You know, it was just something that, you know, I needed to do my part. But that's one thing that I took out of that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Clint, I know that you've talked to a lot of 
non-Christian families before. How have you seen this play out in real life? Oh man, yeah, there's there's a, a lot of uh, different scenarios I could pick from, um, but the the one that is just like I think it's the the perfect example, and it, it's often in my mind when I'm thinking about how can I seek to uh, reach the lost because I, I I my mind just returns to some of those former experiences. Uh, there's a there's a guy that I'm uh, friends with. Uh, I'm not we're not super close friends, but we we're, we are friends. Um, and uh, he's a professor at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. And so we uh, our families would get together once or twice a year back when Liz and I lived there. I, I've known his family since probably the early 2000s. And uh, anyway, uh, he and, and his family are uh, they would say that they are of the Baha'i faith. Uh, which, if, if you've never heard of that before, uh, they essentially believe that um, most of the world's religions all pretty much worship the same God, but just revealed differently. Like when you look through a prism, how it divides up the light and it has all the display of colors, uh, they say those those colors represent different world religions. And so they would say, for instance, that the God of the Jews is the same as the God of the uh, of the Christian and the same as the the God of the uh, the, the Muslim and, and so on and so forth and and uh, and so anyway uh, we had this exact conversation one time where uh, because according to the Baha'i faith they really view the, the problem with the world as being a problem of uh, ignorance they really believe that because man is basically good according to their worldview, that if he just receives proper training, spiritual teaching, then he would be, uh, he would live righteously. He would live a good life. He would follow God the way that he's supposed to. The, the, the problem is is a, a pedagogical or a teaching problem, more than a more than a morality problem. And so, uh, I just remember having a conversation with with this guy at, at Starbucks one time, and and. Uh, I asked him, I started out by saying, you know, is man basically good or basically evil? And of course, I knew how he would answer that. He said, basically good. And I said, okay, so let's say that you've got this basically good baby, um, and that baby receives no spiritual teaching at all. Will that baby become evil, or will that baby remain innocent and live a righteous life. And he said, oh, obviously that, that baby as it grew up would uh, become evil. It, it needs spiritual teaching in order to become righteous. And, and I just said, well, how, how can that possibly be? If he's basically good, if his nature is good, then why would he tend toward evil? <laughs> and, and, and he did not know how to answer that question. Um, and, and it's such a simple thing. You know, but it's a perfect example where the Christian worldview makes sense in a place where the high worldview does not. You know, Christianity says man is basically evil, and yes, even within that, spiritual teaching is is good. But even that's not enough. It's it's a heart problem. It, there there is a need for regeneration. The spirit must take a spiritually dead soul and resurrect it to spiritual life or else um, nothing good will come of it.
Amen. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, in any case, Kurt, you know, these are, these are uh, really helpful things to sort of think through, and especially as we're interacting with unbelievers. But as we're just kind of like trying to check our own souls, as we're trying to just think through how, how can I think through this uh, on a practical level uh, for my own uh, faith, for my own belief, uh, as it pertains to the Apostles' Creed maybe, but even just my faith in Jesus Christ in general, um, what are some takeaways for me that, that I can grasp onto? Well, I think uh, Justo Gonzalez spelled it out very well for us, actually, uh, when he talks about what does it mean by I believe. And uh, he came up with five different levels of belief. I'm just going to list them off because I think it's appropriate. Uh, the first one is uncertainty. Someone asks us, did Joe tell Mary that I was coming? And we reply, I believe so. Don't really know. Second one could be an opinion. Someone says, I believe Isabella pondered jewels in order to finance Columbus's dream. Here, I believe means I think. But it would be easy to be persuaded otherwise if more accurate facts were provided. Next one would be slightly convinced. One is convinced of something even though others disagree. This could be the result of one's own research or a decision made for personal reasons. For many, this is what is meant by, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Next level would be absolute conviction. This type of belief might even result in some cases, someone being willing to risk one's life for its sake. At this level, belief is ready to be tested in order to become certainty and to prove itself to others who may not share the same belief. And then lastly, we have trust. If a child is willing to jump off a ledge into her father's arms, we say that the child is willing because she believes in her father or because she trusts him. At this point, we begin to see the difference between believing that and believing in. What the Apostles' Creed means when we affirm that I believe in God is that we trust God that we are willing to stake our lives on God, and that we have personal knowledge, belief, and trust in Him. All right, so, so this, is a, this is a tough thing to sort of assess in ourselves, because the reality is, I don't, I don't know about you, Kurt, but I know for me, uh, in my own walk with the Lord, there are times where uh, I am at that gold standard of trust, where I am leaping off the ledge. <laughs> I can think on moments in my life when I have had to leap off the ledge, uh, hoping uh, and trusting and believing and being absolutely convinced that, the, that God would catch me. Um, but I, I'd be lying if I said I lived there all the time. I, uh, I wish I did. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just me, but uh, is, what's your experience? No, my friend, you're definitely not the only one there. Uh, <laughs> we all have different levels for sure. Yeah. You know, one thing that's really encouraging to me uh, is that even though faith, and uh, really in every Christian, ebbs and flows. Um, and, and, and by the way, uh, some Christians in general uh, just have more faith than other Christians, and, and some Christians have a stronger faith, and other Christians have a weaker faith, and 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 that's uh, that's the reality. Um, 
But one thing that's incredibly encouraging to me is that um, even though it is faith that saves us, um, we're nowhere told in Scripture that it's the strength of our faith that saves us. Actually, it's the, it's the strength of our Savior that saves us. And so uh, it's, it's just super encouraging to me to know that my salvation doesn't depend on the strength of my faith, because if it did, uh, I'd, be, I'd be in a bad place a lot of times. Um, but it's, it's, not the, uh, it's not the feeling of my faith that saves me, it's the object of my faith. It's the person uh, in whom I place my faith. And so that's why uh, you know, the, the Apostles' Creed continues on past just those first two words, it's I believe in God the Father and then God the Son and then God the Holy Spirit as we progress through that. Um, I will say this too. Uh, one thing that just occurs to me that I find to be uh, incredibly helpful in uh, working with um, Christians who are struggling with doubt, something that I know that I have prayed in, in my own heart to the Lord before many times is uh, the prayer uh, that uh, uh, that is mentioned in Mark uh, chapter 9, verse 24, and that is, uh, uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And, and that's just the reality, because I never have perfect faith. I, I always have faith that is seeking understanding, faith that is um, seeking to be strengthened. Uh, I believe, but I, I do have doubts, and so I need uh, the Lord's help to uh, strengthen me for that, uh, for that work. And so I, I would add that to your list, just that uh, we, we need to uh, also be um, praying that the Lord will increase our faith. That's definitely something that we can all pray for. Thank you, Clint. Hey, good job not calling me pastor. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been another episode of Sound Saints. We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions. You can reach us at kurt.dalmas at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and go in peace.